0: Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Hey, will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the saints, the holy ones, the ones that you have washed and made clean that are here today. Thank you that we, if we look at our lives, we're like, woo not clean we listen to your voice and we by faith say righteous holy perfect in god's sight i pray that you would increase the faith in our hearts this morning jesus in your name i ask this and everybody who agreed with this prayer said amen so we're continuing our series through gospel eyes and you know uh it's interesting what we're facing now. I mean, how many thought that this thing that started in March would be still going now? Anybody? Two weeks, three weeks, four, a month, three months? You know, it's going on, and it has effect on relationships. In particular, marriages, work relationships, family relationships, and even, this is what I found fascinating, AARP, these are older married people, right? The association, Amer- American Association of Retired People, that they, they send, I don't even know what age they send it to you, but uh, they send you their info. Is COVID ruining your marriage? Financial concerns? Too much togetherness to strain your union? It's like, honey, I like you, but not that much, right? You know. Um, it's interesting how our culture, how this uh, virus has really impacted family relationships. I mean, parents never dreamed that they would attempt to work and school their kids. I mean, that's like, it is a whole other challenge, isn't it? Right? I mean, what kindergartner was meant to stare at a screen? No marriage, Elizabeth Elliot said, can survive without forgiveness. Why? Because marriage is a long-term commitment between two sinners. Isn't that right? And this is why we have difficulty, whether you're newly married or married a long time. COVID just kind of puts those molecules together and brings out some of the bubbles. And, and even at work, you know, this is another article the saga of workplace conflict and dangers ahead. We have problems in relationships. Sinners come together, there's problems. And so did the church at Corinth. They had problems dealing with lawsuits it says when one has a grievance against another does he dare go before the court i'm sorry before the law of before the unrighteous instead of the saints. so what are they saying they're saying uh let's see dan and betty have a problem and what do they do they go to the court instead of going hey uh is there a wise person here that can help us figure this out they're like no we're taking it before the justice, right? We're gonna... And Paul is saying, guys, you know, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? When was the last time you had that thought? The saints, the holy, the, the, the people in the church who you know Jesus will judge the world. And if, you are to, if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? And then he says, don't you know that... We're to judge the angels. How much more than matters pertaining to life? Now, what I love about how the Apostle Paul reasons is he's got eyes that see the bigger picture. He's like, you guys are fighting over this, but can I blow your minds for a minute? You're going to judge the world. Not just the world, but the angels. Like, he brings this other perspective. And don't you find that that is what you have to fight for when you're in a adjustment, when you're in a difficulty, whether it's in church or whether it's at work or whether it's with your spouse or with your kids. Don't you know that you have to fight for another perspective? Because what happens? When you are in the midst of a fight, you can feel your anger rising. Usually your heart starts beating, right? And it's hard to think clearly. Right? That's the way it is for me. And you don't want to calmly summarize the other person's point. Right? You don't want to go, oh, so what you're feeling is this, or is this what you're saying? You, know, you don't want to go read a book. What do you want to do? You want to win. You want to crush them. You want to get your point across. And you may want to hurt the other person and make them feel bad. You hurt me. I hurt you, right? I mean, this is what happens. And it's so hard to try to say, no, wait, I need to get a bigger perspective. But these are gospel eyes, and gospel eyes come in, and God's like, hey, let me help you. Pause, walk away, do whatever it takes to gain a bigger perspective in this situation. It's massive. I remember going through a hard time, and, and I had like a, a scripture that just was, it, it was going through my brain regularly. I am being pruned but i'm being pruned to be more fruitful and i could say this is difficult the situation is difficult these relationships are difficult but god you're using it for my good right it's a it's a it's a perspective bringer because right now it feels like fire right now it feels difficult right now i'm uncomfortable in my situation but there's fruit on the other side i'm sure a branch does not like to be trimmed you know uh... When we did our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, some of you may remember, he said, when you're faced with these situations, turn to wonder. I wonder what my reaction is teaching me about myself. Why is my heart beating fast? Why am I getting angry? What's going on inside of me? I wonder why they're feeling this way, right? Go to wonder as opposed to anger. Now, easier said than done, but no child learns to walk overnight either, right? I mean, these are things that might be uncomfortable at first, but Paul is beautiful. He has these gospel eyes, and he's like, hey, I want to bring a bigger perspective, and we need a bigger, bigger perspective. And then he goes on, and he's basically going to say to them, you are empowered. You don't have to look over there. You've got the resources to deal with your problem. He says, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before someone who's got no standing in the church? It's like the church is here. You guys can handle these kind of internal disputes. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one wise enough to settle the disputes between the brothers, but a brother goes to... Goes to law against a brother before unbelievers. He's like, guys, can't you figure this out? Can't can't you guys, you know, have a mediator here in in your midst who's wise enough to kind of help you with the disputes? So he's saying, Christians don't go to court against each other. And you know, this scripture's actually burned in my mind because years ago, I think I was either in fifth grade or sixth grade, and um, we were playing kickball. We used to play in these tennis courts. And it was kind of cool because you'd run along some of the bases. We incorporated the the tennis court net in it. And if you got it out over the tennis court fence, then you got a home run because you had to run outside the gate and get it. And, And there were these boys that we were in fifth or sixth grade. They were probably ninth grade. Big age difference, big maturity difference. And somehow they found joy in coming over and like, taking our ball and kicking it and kind of being mean and abusive to us. Well, my twin brother and I, we were pretty scrappy kids. And we looked around and we're like, there's 10 of us here or more, we can take them. So we go for it, only to find it's just, it's just my brother and I. They're all afraid. They, they are not as scrappy as we were, you know. And, uh, and we could have taken them, but not when you got one fifth or sixth grader against a ninth grader and another fifth or sixth grader against a ninth grader. And, um, and I remember I am being, like, held down by the one ninth grader, and my brother is on the ground pretty uh, badly beaten. But Dwight, he doesn't give up. He bites the guy's leg. That guy stomps his head into the asphalt, knocks him out, uh, you know, the ambulance has to come, and... Um, my parents went and met with the family and they came home and they said, you know, they're Christians and we're not going to sue them. But we told them we would if their son didn't get counseling, you know, and we would report it, we would, we would press charges. And, and um, I, I remember thinking, wow, mom and dad take that Bible real seriously. You know, they didn't want to have this between Christians. And, and I also remember that he still was a little bit of a bully. The next time we had a run-in with him, it was two against one, and we had him down. And my neighbor came over, who was a football player for the high school, a real big guy, says, guys, get off him, grabbed him, said, listen, you guys, if you don't leave these kids alone, I am going to, and I'm not going to repeat what he said. But you know what? After that, there was no trouble with him. He wasn't a a bully anymore. And and, and my parents took this scripture seriously. But as I read this, I thought, you know, what's in it for us? Uh, I don't know that there are many legal cases going on in this church that you guys have lawsuits against one another. But I had to ask myself the question, what does a wise judge do? Like, what does a, a wise judge do? Have you ever had a friend or somebody that confides in you, they come to you and they tell you their problem? Usually it has to do with somebody else, right? Maybe it's a marriage problem and you talk to one person and you are like, their spouse, I just can't believe it. And you're up in arms. And then all of a sudden, maybe you get to talk to their spouse. You're like, they left half the story out. What's going on? Right? A wise judge listens to both sides, don't they? And I was thinking that so many times in our relationships, we are quick to speak and slow to listen, right? I, I had a situation recently that when I went back in my mind and I replayed it, it was a situation where I was called to intervene, and, and as I went to intervene, my goal was just to reason with the person, just to reason. And it didn't go well. There wasn't much reasoning, it became very, very difficult and loud and and, uh, there wasn't any listening and, and I thought, you know, I wonder if I would have entered into the situation with questions and listening. It may not have gone any different, I admit that, but it might have. You know, I think listening is so critical and so important in all our relationships. I I found uh, many times couples will come into my office and you know what they want me to do? He's right, she's wrong. Or you're 75% right, you're 25% wrong. And I have found that many times problems are solved when you just learn to get each other. You may not totally agree with what that other person is feeling or thinking, but you learn to get each other. And can I say this is a very difficult skill? Because if you have two people and somebody's upset about something, many times they, they, they do want to be gotten, they do want to be understood, they do want to be known deeply, but this person just wants to hurt. And if you start listening, they may just start shooting darts at you, right? So it really takes two people who are willing to put their guns away, so to speak, and humble themselves and say, hey, could you help me understand you better? Many times in relationships, people will come to me and say, hey, it's like my spouse just keeps repeating themselves over and over and over again. And I say to them, they don't feel listened to. They don't feel heard. They just keep saying it because you're probably a talk to the hand person. right?" Next time this happens, physically turn to them walk into it, and just look them in the eyes and listen. Just, just, just listen. And then maybe you can say, so if I'm getting you, you're, this is what you're really feeling. But then that person needs to be man enough or woman enough to say, now I want to get you. And You know what's funny? When this happens, many times the problems just dissolve. Because they're like, well, we may not totally agree, but I can see why you feel that way. I can see why. Right. I mean, it, it's amazing what can happen in a relationship. But don't think it's going to be easy-peasy, right? Don't think it's going to happen right away. You're going to have to work at this. You're going to have to fail, try again, fail, try... Like, like learning to listen and communicate without anger and frustration and trying to stab the other person or whatever, that takes time. It's not an easy thing to learn, but don't give up because we both want to be known. We all want to be known. I think of uh, Saint Francis's prayer. He said, "O Master, grant that I may never seek so much to be consoled as to console, to, un- to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love with all my soul." He's, he says, "I, I want to be a person who seeks to know and understand others." I think in the church at work and and in the family it's so important to try to understand he goes on and says actually then it's already it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another why not rather be wronged can i say this this verse is burned in my brain i don't know why the holy spirit decided that but many times it, just this one phrase why not rather be wronged like oh does that have to be in the Bible right you know, like, why not rather prove you're right and crush your enemy right? no why not rather, rather be wronged why not rather be defrauded that means they promised me something and then they reneged and I'm standing there going wait I, I, you know no, why not rather be defrauded On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. And you do this to your brethren. He's like, no, you guys are like at each other. The scripture that came to my mind was Galatians 5, where he says the entire law is fulfilled in a single decree. Love your neighbor as yourself. But verse 15, look at this. But if you keep biting and devouring one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. I've seen churches and families that just consume each other. They just eat each other for lunch. And they think somehow they're, they're honorable and doing God's will and feelings and stuff. Have you ever noticed that when you're hurt by somebody, you've got an edge when they talk? You've got, it's almost like there's a barrier that they have to break through right and have you ever noticed that if somebody gossips to you about somebody you used to feel fine about that person but now they've gossiped about them and when their name comes up or the thoughts come up now there's all this stuff you may not even know that person right but it begins this biting and devouring and destroying one another and what's the answer I think it's forgiveness I think it's forgiveness You know, if you're in a disagreement, I mean, if you're defrauded, what does it feel like? It it, it, it feels horrible, right? Why not rather be wronged? Because I want to wrong back and make them pay for the wrong that they do. The only way is to absorb the blow, to take it into your being, let it pass through you into Christ on the cross. I mean, if you have a family heirloom, some chair that was your great, 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 grandparents and it's been in your house for uh, for so long and you love that chair you cherish it and you invite me over for dinner and i sit in it and break it i'm like oh i'll pay for it they're like you can't what happens you absorb that suffering to forgive me you have to take that upon yourself and that's what it feels like and it feels like death right And, and then every time this comes to mind, you have to be willing to go. I give it up again. That thing your spouse did, that thing your kid did, that thing that that person at work did, like when it comes to mind, you have to let go. You know, uh, marriages end, people divorce, and, and difficulty happens. And I remember Gretchen and I uh, years ago were counseling a couple. And they were considering divorce. And Gretchen said, you know, when my parents divorced, I I forgave my dad because he's the instigator of it. And, uh, And yet, I had to forgive him again when he was late to walk down the aisle for me at our wedding. I had to forgive him when he never came and visited us at, at, at our, at, after being married for years, decades. I had to forgive him when I held my first child in my arms and said, how could a dad not want a relationship with his, his daughter? She said forgiveness was over and over and over again. I had to keep my hand open. And I think the only way to truly forgive is have gospel eyes. We need to see ourselves in the camp of the enemy. That person that we don't like, the person that hurt us, we need to say, I am that person to God. That human sandpaper, I am them to God. And and that humbles us and it pushes us down and, and we become recipients of this grace and love. And then as we receive that, we say, Lord, I can give that out to others. I can give the grace. We forgive as we've been forgiven. And then sometimes there are very, very, very heinous things that happen in this world. And we have to say, Lord, although I truly want to take vengeance i will give all vengeance to you because you are the righteous judge and vengeance is yours now having said this i do believe there are times in the church where it's necessary to go to the judicial system when there's abuse in the church you don't deal with it in-house why Because you need to protect other people from this person. This abuser could go on abusing. It's not keep it a secret, it'll give us a bad. No, bring it out in the open. And there are times where we need to seek justice in a bigger way. There's times to do it in the church, but there's times where we need to say, no, 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 no. this has to come out. It's necessary, it's righteous, it's good to bring it out in the open to see, uh, to allow the courts to deal with it. So he goes on and he says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's interesting. So if you are going to inherit something, what does that mean? You're typically a family member, right? And have you ever said to somebody, you know what, you've got your family's resemblance. People will say, oh, you remind me of your dad. You know, you remind me of... And sometimes it will look at the little one-year-old grandchild and go, looks like Hannah or looks like Gretchen. You know, you can kind of see them. And Paul is saying, unrighteousness does not look like God. It doesn't look like the, the ones who would inherit. There, there isn't a family resemblance in unrighteousness. No, no unrighteous are people who we are not... And God is changing us. Now, how does this work? I have seeds of the kingdom in me. I have seeds of eternal life in me. Have you ever read this puzzling verse in 1 John that says, He who is born of God does not continue in sin. What do you say to that when you sin? What do you say to that when you say... (laughs) Recently I said, I am going to listen, I am gonna be a good listener, I'm gonna be empathetic. And it wasn't more than 15 minutes later, all that's gone and I am just barking out, you know. And I stand there and go, oh, it just proves to me again I'm a sinner. And yet if I have the life of Christ in me, I'm gonna turn from that, I'm gonna say I'm sorry, right? I believe that the, the tree, of, of eternal life is growing inside of those who believe in Jesus. And, and that we, we do, in, in many senses, grow and get better. We're never perfect on this earth. One of the beauties is we're always staying humble because of our sinful nature. And that makes us look like Jesus' humility. But we know that this life is going to grow up someday. This body's going to drop off. And we are going to be people who... Who look like Jesus will be like him and that's the vision that you hold before yourself Paul says this hope purifies us that we will look like Jesus ultimately it's like we're on the Jesus team so many times when people are fighting you know what they forget husbands and wives We want the same stuff. We're on the same team, right? You treat each other as if you're not on the same team, but you are. And I've said it before, sometimes Gretchen and I, we just back up and we go, okay, we're stuck. But what do we agree on? Oh, we really want to have a great marriage. We really want to, when we were parents, raise our kids while we really... Like, like we would back up and talk about our shared value. We may be stuck here. But we've got shared values that bring us together. Like Underneath the the jerseys that you're wearing at the moment is the same team jerseys. Let that vision unify you. And Paul goes on and says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't, Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor greedy nor drunkers nor revilers nor swindlers could he have a bigger list he sure could couldn't he he's saying when that's your identity when you live into that you're not gonna look like Jesus That's not that you don't look like a brother or sister of Jesus that isn't, that isn't the life that Christ is growing within us. He goes, and such were some of you. Your life could be defined by that. But what happened? You were washed. It's a passive term. God did it to you. It's a term for baptism. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. See, the reality is, is when we, when we define our life, when we say, this is what I really need, this is what defines me, we're actually worshiping something else. We're, we're, we're giving something else uh, power in our lives, and that power will shape us, but it will also disappoint us. I was reminded of something recently, so Dave and I rode to Columbus We were going to ride to a pastor's conference. The conference was canceled. So I said, Dave, I'm not giving up the bike ride. We'll ride to Columbus and rent a car and drive back. And I didn't know this, but the trail goes right through Kenyon College. And we took a break at this stop to rest, and we heard the tennis balls being hit. And I'm like, man, I haven't heard tennis being played very often. Maybe that's a high school team. And this other couple said, no, no, that's Kenyon College. It's right over there. There's a really good coffee shop and all this. And they said, oh, they get really good speakers for their commencement address. And I said, yeah, they had David Foster Wallace in. I think it was in 2005. And I remembered his his speech, and I've read it, and I've listened to it. And he has this wonderful quote in here about living for anything other than God and what it does for us. He, um, by the way, was an atheist, but this is what he said in his commencement address. Everyone worships something because, he, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the, day of the, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. He says, if you worship money and things, if that's where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough and never feel you have enough. He says, if you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid And you will need ever more power over others to numb your fear. Worship your intellect, being smart or seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they're unconscious. They're the default setting. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing you see whatever we worship we will serve for worship and service are always intrinsically bound together whatever most captures our imagination and heart it ensnares us We will ultimately either look to God or to success romance family status popularity, beauty, or something else to make us feel personally significant and secure and to guide our choices. And the vision, I believe, that the Apostle Paul holds out for the Corinthians, the thing that will help them get along is for them to have gospel eyes, to let these words, but you were washed, You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus. To have gospel eyes, to start seeing yourself from God's perspective. I mean, it weans us from that whole list of sins. And and by the way, in that list of sins, is he saying that people never still struggle with sin? No. But he's saying, don't let it reign in your body. Don't give yourself. Define yourself. As somebody who's been washed, who's been forgiven, who's been redeemed. I want to end with this. I uh, came across this story. It was in a magazine. And, and it's about a Lutheran pastor named Jim Nestigan. And he's a big guy, 6'6". Six, six. Also, he's fully orbed, too. Uh, and, and he uh, was boarding a plane to fly coast to coast when he saw that there was a guy who he'd be sharing a row with who was just as big as him. And they awkwardly wedged up against one another and exchanged niceties, preparing for the long haul, basically sitting in each other's laps. Haven't you ever had that happen? It's like, my body is fully touching this person next to me. <clears throat> uh, they asked the obligatory question. Jim says, I'm a preacher of the gospel. The man next to him responded loudly, almost allegorically, I'm not a believer. Jim assured him he was okay, and they kept talking. Turned out that the man had been an infantry man in the Vietnam War, and ever since he carried with him all the awful things he had seen and done there. As a the plane flew from one end of the country to the other, the man dumped his entire story into the lap of his pastor seatmate. And when he was finished, Pastor Jim asked the man, have you confessed all the sins that are troubling you? The man balked. Confessed? I haven't confessed anything. Jim boomed back. You've been confessing your sins to me the whole flight long. And I've been commanded by Christ Jesus that when I hear a confession that you have just handed over to me, I Speak the goods that were given to me by God. I speak particular words to you. So, do you have any more sins that burden you? If so, throw them in now. To which the man balked again. No, that's all, but I'm not a believer and I don't have faith in me. Jim unbuckled his seatbelt mid landing, stood over the man, which caused quite a stir in the flight crew. Well, That's quite all right, brother, he said. Jesus said that it's what's inside of you that's what's wrong with the world anyway. And I'm going to speak faith into you. And he proceeded with the absolution. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by his authority, I declare the entire forgiveness of all your sins. Flabbergasted, The man balked again, you can't do that. To which Pastor Jim responded, I can, I just did, and I'll do it again. And he did. And the man began weeping uncontrollably. Until finally, he began laughing uncontrollably. All the way down the tarmac to the gate, as the two men were grabbing their overhead luggage, Jim grabbed the man's hand and gave him a card and said, you're likely not going to believe your forgiveness tomorrow or the next day or a week from now. And when you stop having faith in it, call me. I'll bear witness to you all over again. And I'll keep on doing it until you do. You really do trust it and believe it. The man did call him, no joke, regularly until the day he died. Just to hear the declaration That defined him Will you pray with me Lord Regularly We need to know Our sins are forgiven And out of that grace May you move Us to love as we've been loved To serve as we've been served To forgive as we've been forgiven And in the midst of it May each of us sit here in the knowledge of your grace, of your love, of your acceptance. And may we repeat to one another that mighty truth of your gospel regularly. Jesus, in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.